All right, so we've been in this destination series, and last week we learned a verse. If anybody can stand up right now and recite it, I'll give you 20 bucks. You can't, you can't recite it if you're reading it, Travis. Yeah, well, too bad. Three, two, one. Don't you tell the next service. Or show up the next service. John's going to show up just long enough to try to get 20 bucks. <clears throat> Here it was. It was Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent see danger and they take, ref- take refuge. The simple keep going and they do what? All right. So the prudent see danger. They're on a path. They see danger. They get on another path. The simple see the same danger, but they just think, oh, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to keep going. And, and so what we, what we've been saying is we're, we're, studying this thing called the principle of the path. The principle of the path says your direction determines your destination every, every time. And we understand this when we're driving where we fail to apply this principle though, is in every other area of our lives. You're on a path financially. You're on a path in your dating life, in your marriage life, in your parenting life, in your school life, and even in your life with God, you're on a path closer to God or away from God. So what happens is all these other areas, when we're driving, we understand 155 goes to Tyler. We understand that, that, um, if you get on a 84, you're going to go uh, towards Rusk. If you, if you get on 79 and go south, you're going to go towards Buffalo. We understand that. But in these other areas, we just kind of, we, we take off on a path and we hope and pray we get over here where we want to be. And then when we're where we don't want to be because of the path we chose, we get mad at God. That's kind of the, the, the overview of what we've talked about so far. Instead of getting mad at God, what I want you to do is take that verse that we memorized last week that you forgot in, in probably 10 seconds after we finished memorizing it. I want you to take that verse and begin praying that verse. And so what you pray is, God, if I'm on a path and there's danger, let me see it early on so that I can get on another path. Isn't, isn't that a prayer that, that you think you should pray? God, if I'm on the wrong path, show me clearly. If, if I'm on the wrong path and there's danger, God, help me see it way back here so that I'm not in the midst of problems whenever I respond to the danger. Now, the, the real challenge with this principle is that we're making decisions today that we may not know the results of for 20, 25 years. You don't know the result of your parenting until your kids leave the home. Um, when, when you stand, I did a wedding last night, beautiful venue outside of Crockett. I did this wedding and, and when they're standing there making vows before God and all of their, their friends, nobody is thinking I'm going to get a divorce, but they also don't know what's going to happen 25 years from then. Janie and I've been married 25 years. And so you don't know when you're making those decisions, the outcomes of those decisions. So what we need is we need to figure out, um, a better way to make decisions up front that lead us where we want to go. Does that make sense? It does say yes. All right. Thank you. So we want to make better choices. So wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if somebody over the last 100 years took every decision that's been made over the last 100 years and put it into some kind of supercomputer? And, and if you had a choice to make, you could go to the supercomputer guy, you could give him a hundred bucks and you say, here's my dilemma. I've got these options, A, B, or C. Tell me where it will lead. And the supercomputer guy, he would type everything in and he'd go, well, over the last 100 years, 18,000 people made A, choice A, and it led them here. 52,000 people made choice B, it led them here. And another 30,000 over here made choice C and it led them here. Wouldn't that be cool if that was, that was available? Let me tell you what wouldn't be cool. Even if you went to the supercomputer guy and he gave you the outcomes of all of those decisions, you wouldn't take his advice. How do I know? Let me ask another question. How many of you know a really, really smart person 
who's made a really, really dumb decision. Raise your hands. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many of you, it's you who made the dumb decision? All right, a few of you are willing. See, what I want you to realize is don't blame dumb decisions on lack of information. How about that slide there, Mr. There we go. Don't blame dumb decisions on a lack of information. And and here's what I mean. Lack of information is not our problem. For example, many people, I know many people have gone to a financial planner and they've got this beautiful set of documents that they printed out for them. And they put them in a folder and they take those documents home. Eight years ago, they put them away and they haven't looked at them since, right? So information was not the reason they're messed up financially. They went to a financial planner. How many of you have ever gone out with a playa, not a player, but a playa, right? You know what a playa is? Okay, you knew ahead of time that they were a playa. But you thought you would be different. And then when they cheated on you like they have every other relationship in their repertoire, you were shattered. I can't believe it happened to me. You had information. You just thought the path would lead somewhere different. How many of you are are good patients? You go to the doctor and when the doctor gives you instructions, you follow those instructions until you're well. You take all of your medicine. I know better. You still got medicine from years ago in your cabinets that you hadn't taken. They said, take all this medication, right? How many of you have done that? You don't follow the instructions of your doctor. Information's not the problem when we choose the wrong path. How many of you have ever gone to church and been convicted by what the pastor said, and you know, I really should do something about that, and then walked out the door and done nothing. We talked about that last week. The Bible calls that simple, to know what you should do and choose the wrong path. We do it all the time. Last year, I played softball with um, with some people in my small group. We were in this church league, and, um, and since I'm older, I'm 52 now, I was 51 at the time when I was um, playing softball with them, um, since I'm older, I like to get to ball games about 45 minutes early because it takes these bones and these muscles a long time to get warmed up. When I'm throwing, I have a little bit of shoulder problems, so I throw for about 10, 12 minutes before I'm ready to play a game. And then I jog and I stretch, and it takes me forever to get warmed up. And so I get to this game 45 minutes early. Janie goes with me. And um, because we're in a church league, they let us play on other teams if they didn't have enough players. A lot of times folks wouldn't have enough players. It was really a fun league. We had a great time in it. So as I'm walking up to get warmed up for my game, they said, hey, Doug, can you play? Now, a wise person would have gone, no, I'm not ready. But what did I do? Sure, I'll play. So I take a a softball and I throw two throws and they said, grab a bat, dude, because you're up. I grab a bat, I'm walking up and I'm thinking, this is a really, really bad idea. So hadn't done anything, hadn't even swung a bat and I swing the bat, I hit a a grounder to second base and, and because I'm just a competitive person, I can't just get thrown out. I run hard to first base. I'm like, oh no, no, you're not throwing me out. And I run and I... Two steps from first base, I felt this knot in my hamstring, and I thought, oh, no. And so I, I, I was safe, and I stayed on base, and the whole time it's just getting, it's it's hardening, and it's hurting. And so, you know, I'm trying to stretch, and the team's going, oh, Doug, what's, what's going on? I said, dude, I pulled something. So anyway, I stay in the game. We finish that game. I'm supposed to pitch the next game, but I can't even step because my leg hurts so badly. So they put me on first base. So I'm playing first base, and, and you know, and, and I've, I've played baseball my whole life, and so I'm stretching out for throws. Well, in our game, about the second inning, I think it was in our game, somebody throws one. I stretched out low and I crumpled. It hurt so bad. Caught the ball. And I said, I'm done. I got to go. So Janie comes and I, I limp out to the car and I go home and I'm like, you're an idiot. 
The next day I come to church and, and we have rehearsal very early on Sunday morning. So I come to church and I'm hobbling down and I, and I walk up here. John's usually the first one in the band to get here after me. And, and he goes, what'd you do? And I said, dude, I pulled my hamstring. And he goes, I said, what do I need to do? And so he told me all this stuff. You do this, you do this, do this. And I said, man, our, our season's only eight weeks long. He goes, you're done. You're done for the season. You, you cannot, you rehab this way. Maybe next year you'll get to play. So I started doing what he did, what he said. And I was rehabbing about five weeks later. I'm feeling pretty good. You know what I did? I went to a game and so I'm playing and it's going good. And I, I kept hitting the ball to the outfield and I would get on the base. So I would jog to first base. Well, the second time I got this hit, I jogged to first base and the, and the coach goes, Hey, Doug, you want me to substitute a runner for you? And I'm like, no, no, dude, I got this. The wise person would have said, please substitute a runner for me. Because when those competitive juices kick in. So you see where this is going, right? You know what's about to happen. So the next person after me, they hit it to left field. And I'm running to second base. And, and I've played literally my whole life. I've played baseball. And so I see the play in front of me. I'm not even listening to the coach because I see the, the outfielder miss the ball. So I turn second base and I dog to third base. No problem. When I get to third base, I do what I've done my whole life. I turn and I take a couple of steps and the dude stands there. So I, I had flashes back to when I was in peewee league, you know, and the kid would just stand there with the ball and they go, throw the ball, throw the ball. Everybody's yelling, throw the ball. Well, he's, he's out there. I'm just, I'm creeping towards home base. I'm creeping towards, I'm going, no way is this adult not throwing the ball. So I get to the point of no return and I turn and I take off. Well, he throws the ball and I get there and two steps before, before home plate, I feel this pop in my hamstring. And so I hobble and I step and I fall down. I am falling down. It hurts so bad. I got my hands up. They're screaming. All kinds of stuff is going out on the field. I have no idea what's going on because I'm in pain and I'm thinking I'm an idiot. So the next day I come and I'm walking down here and I walk up the steps and I'm hobbling. I mean, this is bad. This is worse than the first time. John sees me and John with nothing but compassion and sympathy in his voice. He goes, you're an idiot. He said, you played, didn't you? He goes, you completely ignored my instructions. And then, I'm not kidding. Then he starts going, what do I know about physical therapy? I'm just doing it for a living. I'm an expert. For the next hour, he's mumbling about, you should listen to me. I'm not even going to tell you my opinion next time, idiot. Information was not my problem, right? I have a master's degree. It's not that I'm stupid, but I made a dumb decision, right? And it hurt for a long time. And I just, and John, because, because physical therapists, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I see you back there, Karen. Y'all kind of got a little mean streak in you, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. You know that. And, and so they're just, they're just mean people. They don't have any compassion for dumb people. Let's put it that way. So my problem was not a lack of information. My problem was thinking that the principle didn't apply to me. Your problem is not lack of information when you make bad decisions. Your problem is thinking you can choose this path that will lead over there. And it just doesn't make sense. We've been looking at the, at the book of Proverbs over these last few weeks. And most of Proverbs was lit, written by King Solomon. 
Now, um, King Solomon wrote three books of the Bible. He wrote Proverbs, he wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, and he wrote Song of Solomon. Now, Proverbs is a book that anybody can read, Christian, non-Christian. There is so much wisdom in there. In fact, I saw uh, on version this morning, I saw that there's a new devotional where parents can read some of Ecclesiastes with uh, their teenagers and ask questions, and they're showing how Solomon's writings were so wise back then that they still apply today. So anybody can read Proverbs. There's 31 of them. You can read one a day. Now, Ecclesiastes shouldn't be read by anybody under 40 because it's really depressing because he, he's tried everything in his life and he said, everything's chasing after wind and everything's vanity and everything and you'll get depressed. So, so you might want to hold off on Ecclesiastes till you're about 40 song of Solomon should only be read by married people because it was so saucy that, that teenagers would sneak into the temple and, and try to read it at night when no one's looking. I mean, it was, I'm not kidding. It is, it is that, I guess they did this. They did a scroll. They didn't have, they didn't have pages that they were going through a scroll. Um, really you, you should not study the song of Solomon until, until you're married because it's, it, it's good stuff. But anyway, so Solomon became King when he was a young man. His father, David had died. And, and so Solomon is now in charge of the kingdom and he's been given the job of building the temple, which was a massive thing. God had always resided in the tabernacle, which was a tent and they would move it around. And there was very specific things they were supposed to do. Now they were going to build a permanent home for God to come and dwell in is called the temple. And so, um, God speaks to Solomon one night in a dream. And he said, I loved your father, David. I love you too. Ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And God says to him, he says, do you want long life? I'll give it to you. Do you want well? I'll give it to you. Do you want the death of your enemies? Which seems kind of weird for us to talk about, but that's just the way things were back then in their culture. The death of your enemies, you tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. Solomon says this. He says, this job is too big for me. I'm a kid. I don't have a clue how to govern your people. So I want wisdom to do my job well. And I want you to see how God responds to his request. This is in first Kings three verse 11. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom and governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. God says, I'm going to make you the wisest man who's ever lived to your time, but, but not even that. I'm going to make you the wisest man to live ever on the face of the planet. So God says, this is a great response. I like it. Now, If there was ever someone who could say, thanks God for all this wisdom and common sense you gave me, I've got my life now, leave me alone. It was Solomon. If anybody ever had the amount of wisdom needed to do life without God, it was Solomon. So when he needed to choose the path, he could have said, oh, I got this, God. No need for you to worry yourself. I got it because of what you gave me. It was Solomon. But I want you to see what he did when he had to choose a path. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7a. And when we say a, that just means the first half of the verse. But we're going to start with this first part here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is a word that gets thrown around a lot in our society. Solomon is saying, trust not in information, not in facts, not even in opinion, in opinions, trust in God himself. The answer to finding the right path is not information. It's not even experience. The answer is God himself. Now, how wise, I just told you how wise he was. How wise was Solomon? The wisest person ever. Was he wiser than you? Was he wiser than me? The wisest person ever. Yes. The wisest man says, you're not wise enough to find the path on your own. All right, Seth, come here real quick. All right, step right up here. Face that way. Cross your arms. All right, Seth, do you trust me? Keep looking that way. Quit looking at me if you trust me. All right, then fall back. Oh, you didn't trust me. I'll give you another shot. 
Keep looking that way. Don't you look back here. You trust me? Fall back. Oh, he did good that time. Wait, wait, wait. We're not done yet. All right, Seth, do you trust me? Fall back. (laughs) All right, thanks. Did he trust us? No. (laughs) He had no idea what we were doing. Solomon is saying that that when you put your trust in your wisdom, you're going to fall and there's going to be nobody there to catch you. Now look at the next part of the verse. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now the first time Seth didn't trust me. You, you understand, you, you probably wouldn't have trusted me either. So he didn't trust me. But then the second time, you see what he did? He leaned back. And what I do, I caught him. God says, don't lean on yours. What, what it literally means in the Hebrew is to prop something up against something else. So when Seth leaned that second time, he wasn't trusting in his own ability to defy gravity. He was trusting that I was going to be back there and I was going to hold him up. That's what it means by lean not on your understanding, lean on God's understanding. Now, every day we're tempted to lean on, base our decisions on our own understanding of things. We lean on our wisdom, our experiences, our feelings. My question is, how's that working for you? See, because what will happen is somebody will come up and they'll, they'll start pouring out their heart to you. And what you'll go, what you'll do is go, well, if I were you, this is what I'd do. Or when that happened to me, I did this. Or I can't believe you're not doing anything. I, 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 I. We have an I problem because we trust in our own understanding. We lean on our own wisdom and understanding. Our natural reaction is to lean on that. And I'm not saying you haven't gained valuable experience. In fact, you should be wiser today than you were a year ago. But what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived was, he's saying, you're not wise enough to do life on your own. When you're faced with which path do I choose? Don't you dare make the mistake of thinking you're wise enough to handle life on your own. I don't need to pray about it. I've heard people say this. I don't need to pray about it. Why? Because I got this. I know where this path is leading. Everybody else is going, that's a bad path. No, I got it. Leave me alone. So it's kind of like saying, well, you know, I had surgery once, so I can perform surgery. I was a parent. I mean, I was a kid. I know how to parent because I was a kid. I drive a car, so I know how to fix a car. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody, anybody over there know how to fix a car? Seth? Do you want, do you want Brian fixing a car? Okay, there we go. All right. So don't lean on your own understanding. That's what I'm trying to to get across to you. Um, we're gonna keep going. The wisest man ever said, if you want direction from God, you can't lean on, you can't trust in your own understanding. So here it is. Direction doesn't begin with information. Doesn't begin with information. It begins with submission. Oh man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. God, I trust you with my finances, even though I'm not sure what the word says about finances. God, I trust you with my marriage, even though I don't fully understand what that means. I'm going to trust you before I need to see the path. I'm not going to wait until I have three bad options because here's what happens. When people come and talk to you, all the options are bad. And they come and they say, oh man, what should I do? I don't know. I'm not going to wait until I have three bad options. I'm going to trust you with all my heart and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. And I'm going to do that before I need to see the path to take. Now look at the next phrase. In all your ways, submit to him. In how many ways? What does all mean? All. 
What does it mean to submit? Now, Jesus gave us a picture of submission long before Paul ever wrote that wives are to submit to their husbands. And by the way, the, the first phrase in that whole segment, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, wives, submit to your husband. But Jesus gave us that picture before anything. Let me show you what he said. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's going to be tried and crucified for our sins, look what Jesus prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. So what he's saying is, if there's another path, I sure would like to see it right now. And then look what he says at the end. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. God always works through submission. He's the king. He's in charge. He's in control. You bow your knee to him. My life works best when I'm under God's submission. Your life works best when we're under God's submission. So what that means is to be covered by God. Now, here's the deal. I still have, okay. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ was equal with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Christ submitted to God. Did that keep him off a bad path? No, the bad path is where God wanted him. But when Jesus Christ submitted to him, God covered him. Does this make sense? So here's what happens. In your marriage ways, you're supposed to submit to God. In your entertainment ways, oh, we're meddling now. You're supposed to submit to God. Now, would God go watch some of the stuff that people watch? Nobody in this room, but other people you know. Would God go watch something? No. In your entertainment ways, submit to him. In your dating ways, oh, now that's just too much. I got to get what I can take. Take what I can get. I don't know. In your dating ways, submit to God. In your morality, in your recreational ways, in your vocational ways, in all your ways, submit to him. Make sure you're under his authority, not just on Sundays, not just in religious ways, in all your ways. One week, one hour a week, God, I will submit to you. Woo! But the other 167, I'm going to step out here, I'm going to go my path, and then I'm going to get mad at you that you didn't take me where I wanted to be. God says it doesn't work that way. You submit to me in everything. You get under my covering. All means all. In all your paths, submit to him. There should be a God moment in every decision you make before you make the decision. There's always a God moment for Christians after they make the wrong decision. Oh God, where are you? God says, I'm right over here where I was. You didn't get under my submission. You didn't submit. You didn't get under my protection. So God, I want to submit to you with my money. Man, you just keep meddling. People get funny when you talk about money. With my marriage, with my weekends, with my children. Now, here's, here's why. This is the key to this whole series. If you want to know which path to take before you take it, this next part is the key. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to show you this same verse, uh, the last phrase translated in the New Living Translation. This is very, very clear. And then he will show you which path to take. And then... When you're out here, God's not required. He will not show you his path. When you're under his authority, he will show you his path. As a result of your trusting God, not leaning on my understanding, not trusting in my own wisdom, I get under God's authority, then he makes my path clear. He shows me which direction to take. So submission precedes direction from God. So it's like, it's like standing, uh, stepping under the umbrella. It's like he turns on a light and, and you've heard the verse, um, from, from Psalms where it says your word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The light comes on when you get under God's authority. The reason so many of us make so many wrong decisions is we never include God until we're on the wrong path. 
People come in all the time and they say, I don't have any options. What should I do? And I say to them, I don't know. But many times I say, I know what you should have done 12 months ago. You should have gotten under God's submission. And then you would have done this. And they're like, well, duh, genius. Everybody knows what I should do now. Hindsight is what? Exactly. You and I can't see the future. God can. And God says, when you get under his authority, he will give you the light to choose the right path. God says, submit to me before you need to make a decision and I'll protect your future. You can't do anything about your past, but God says, I can do something about your future. God sees it. He's the only one that sees the future. And he says, come to me first. So you say, God, I submit to you right now before I need direction, before I need to see the path, I submit to you. And God says, if you do that, I will show you which path to take. You don't need information to make a decision. You need submission. Now, look at this last part. Proverbs 3, 7a. This is Solomon speaking. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. And again, I'm going to show you the New Living Translation. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Do you know the rest of the story? Let me tell you the rest of the story because this is a huge irony. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, get under God's authority. When you do, God will show you which path to take. So Solomon is is king for for many, many years. And, And what happens is Solomon is very aggressive in his foreign policy. God gave him peace. He didn't even have to fight wars. People would just come and make treaties with him. Well, part of what you would do when you made a treaty is the the lesser king would offer his daughter in marriage to the greater king to seal this treaty. Now, Solomon knew the scripture. The scripture said, do not have multiple wives. Jesus quoted, he goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, one man, one woman for a lifetime. There's all kinds of times it says in scripture, we're not supposed to have more than one marriage. And then in in fact, it's very explicit. It says, do not to the Israelites, do not marry foreign women. And it tells them why not because of their skin color, not it was because of their religion. God said, if you marry foreign women, they will turn your heart and you will start worshiping foreign gods. And in this instance, Solomon says, I don't need you, God. I got this. I don't need your protection from my enemies. I'm going to marry into all of these other families. And, and, and it blows my mind because Solomon had 700 wives. If you have two, it disqualifies you from being the wisest man who ever lived. 700? Because you can't, I mean, right guys? It's a full-time job pleasing one. Right? No, I'm, I'm serious. What was he thinking? And then he had 300 concubines. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to di- disrespect women. That's not what I'm saying. We don't get it. And so it's hard for us to, to please our wives sometimes. So you got to draw out a map. I'm telling Janie all the time, make me a map. I can follow a map. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it, right? But I'm saying this dude had 700 wives and 300. A concubine was somebody that he could have sex with, but she had no rights as a wife. This dude lost his ever-loving mind when he got out from underneath God's protection. And it just blows my mind. How do you go from the wisest man ever to the dumbest man ever, in my opinion? He was impressed with his own wisdom. He was wise in his own eyes. So let me give you a couple of morals to this story. Several here. First one is experience is not enough. Solomon had more wisdom, more experience than any of us ever had. 
Second moral, wisdom is not enough. Here's another moral, and this is, this is why those first two things are not enough. Pride eventually overrides wisdom. You have that one? All right, we'll put it on for the next service. Pride eventually, oh, there you go, overrides wisdom. See, this is why really smart people make really dumb decisions. I don't need to pray about that. I've got all the, all the wisdom I need, so you leave God over here. And here's what I think. I think that if the, if the umbrella represents Christians in a typical church, our church, any church, I think that, I think that we'll get under God's authority for certain things, but we won't get under God's authority for other things. I think that maybe one out of 10 Christians is really trying to be under God's authority in all their ways. That number should be higher. See, because the, the, the bottom line moral of, story, of Solomon's life, the moral of the story is we all need God. If the wisest man ever could lose his mind whenever he, he was impressed with his own wisdom, then you and I can do the same thing. See, what submission does, submission sets me up, it sets you up for honor in the kingdom of God, protection and honor. And some of you may think that, that I'm crazy for, for praying about this or praying about that or getting under God's authority. Some of you may think that I guarantee you, if you get under God's authority in all your ways, people outside these walls are going to say, you need to lighten up. You're some kind of fanatic. I don't need to please you. I don't need to please the people out there. There's one King that I need to please. And he said, if you get underneath my authority in all your ways, submit to him, then he'll show me which path to take. The reason we make the mistakes is because we're not submitting to God in all our ways. And see, here's the deal. We'll say to God, Christians, we do this. We'll say, God, I submit to you for my salvation. I can't get to heaven. We know that if the Bible's true, if Jesus had to die for my sins, we'll, we'll say, I can't do anything about my salvation. So I'll submit to you, God, with my salvation because there's nothing I can do about it anyway. If that's the only way, I, I can't do anything. So I'll submit. Or we'll pray, God, please take care of my children. God, watch over my children. Why? Because I can't do it. I can't do anything about it. And so we submit to God in areas that we have no control. But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 is about areas of your life that you do believe you have control. Surrendering those things. God, I think I'm pretty smart in this area. I got this. Now, when I have a roofing question, I talk to George Stanley. He's been in the roofing business for years. When I have an electrical question, I talk to, to Jeff Gillis. He's been working for Centerpoint Energy for years. When I have a welding question, I talk to Justin Ritchie because he's been welding for years. In fact, he welded something for me last night. When I need a, uh, when I, when I want to be a smart aleck, I talk to Travis Ashley because he's got more experience than anybody I know at being a smart aleck. These guys have years and years of experience. He was, he just saw that just right before I said that. He saw it in the transcript. I mean, I think y'all do this. I think you talk to people who are wiser than you in a certain area before you make a decision. But let me tell you this. I talk to John all the time about physical therapy stuff. But my caution is, these men can make, can make dumb decisions in their area of expertise if they depend on their own wisdom. Right? You ever done it? Yeah. So we've got to be in all our ways, submit to him. And then he will show us which path to take experience is not enough because we can't see the future. So we need to trust God who can see the future. 
I'm submitting to you, God, in areas where I think I'm pretty smart because I really don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm going to trust you, God. So my question to you is, have you ever submitted the things of your life, to the things you like to control, have you submitted those things to God? Money, marriage, job, dating, those things that, that you think you're in control of. God wants us to lean on him. Like when, when Seth leaned on me, God wants us to lean on him because then if you're leaning on him, wherever he goes, you go. God wants us to be under his authority because then wherever he goes, we go. Ever seen somebody trying to keep up with somebody in the rain? You know, they want to, yeah. God says, submit to me because then whenever he goes, wherever he goes, we will follow him. That's the idea of submission. If you want to know which decision to make, then you need to trust him. So I want you to answer this question today. Why am I so afraid to trust God with these areas of my life? What is it about you or maybe your background or maybe your church background that causes you to be so afraid of a loving heavenly father? Do you bow your heads for a moment? I think probably today as I've been speaking, some of you have been thinking about an area that you have depended on your own wisdom. It's the way God works. See, brings you here, you're fed the word of God, and then, then God takes that into your spirit, and he begins to reveal some things about us. Is there an area of your life that you are trying to control over and over, that you're saying to God, nope, you can't touch this one, God. Why are you so afraid to trust him in that area? It really says a whole lot more about you than it does about God. Father, would you teach us what this word all means to in all our ways submit to you so that we can make better decisions, so that we can make decisions now that have eternal consequences 20, 25, 50, 100 years from now. That's the type of legacy Jesus Christ came to establish as part of what we want to do as a church. So show us that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take your registration cards and fill that out. On the back of the card, I want you to write down what area you're trying to hold on to that you're not submitting to God. And I'm going to pray for you in that area. All right. I always ask you to do something with what you've heard. Because last week we talked about people all the time get convicted and they walked out there and they forget. By the time they get to that little turnaround out there, they forget what, what God has told them. Decide now that you're going to do something with what God told you today and then watch God bless you.